Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the coalition coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode seven of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I'm your host, Amanda Decker, and in this episode, I had the chance to have a conversation about data with Stephanie Patton and Lynn Brano from the Oasis Coalition next door to Avon in the town of Stoughton. Today, you'll hear about why it's so important to use data to advance your mission. Stephanie Patton is seen as a prevention leader in the state of Massachusetts by her peers. She's been the prevention coordinator for organizing against substances in Stoughton, also called Oasis, in Stoughton, Massachusetts since 2012. But she's been involved with Oasis since its inception in 2004. A primary focus of her work has been policy change at the local, regional, and state level. Prior to this role, Stephanie served as the program director for the Southeast Center for Healthy Communities, where she provided technical assistance to substance abuse prevention coalitions throughout southeastern Massachusetts. Stephanie brings over 15 years of experience in public health, substance abuse prevention, and coalition building. She has presented nationally on coalition development and other topics and has extensive experience in developing and leading trainings. Stephanie has a master's degree in public health from the University of Massachusetts, Amherst, and a bachelor's degree from Wellesley College. Lynn Frano. Lynn Frano is a licensed social worker with over 27 years of experience working with children, youth, and families. Lynn currently works for the Oasis Coalition to coordinate four Massachusetts communities to address substance use disorder by using the coalition model. Lynn formerly worked in the Weymouth Health Department and coordinated the efforts of the five-year Federal Drug-Free Community Support Program and also the Mayor's Opiate Task Force. And now for my conversation with Stephanie and Lynn. Welcome, Lynn and Stephanie. Today, I'm really excited. We have both Lynn and Stephanie from the OASIS Coalition, and OASIS stands for? Organizing Against Substances in Stoughton. Okay, Mm -hmm. and both of them have been in the prevention field for quite some time, but today we're going to talk a little bit about data and why it's so important to just what we do in creating change, and um, I'm excited because they have great stories and they also have a lot of experience in using data to create change. So I'm gonna have Lynn start off and she's just gonna read a story for us that's gonna help talk a little bit about data um, in a few minutes. So hello everyone, my name is Lynn and I'm gonna read a story, it's called, um, we call it the Primary Prevention Parable. Um, So, and then we'll talk a little bit about Um, the parable after and how it relates to data. So there was once a carpenter that lived in a village near you. Every day with his trusty hammer, he built boats out of wood. One day as the carpenter was working, he looked out onto the river and saw a child trying to swim towards the shore. Help, said the child, the current is too strong. So the carpenter grabbed a boat and rescued the child. The next day, when the carpenter looked out onto the river, he saw two children struggling to swim toward the shore. Help, the children cried. 
The carpenter called out to another villager, and together they rescued the children. But by the afternoon, there were five children, and shortly after rescuing them, there were a dozen more. Soon, the whole village was busy rescuing children from the river. The villagers grew weary, and the carpenter's small boat started to crack and leak from overuse. The carpenter asked, why and how are so many children falling into the river in the first place? So bravely, he went upstream to find out. There he found an old woman walking by the river, and he asked her, do you know why so many children are falling into the river? The woman told the carpenter that recently, several trees had been removed to build new homes. As a result, children have had, have had access to the cliff overlooking the river. The children have been drawn to the edge of the cliff to look out at the beautiful river. She then pointed out that there is no safe way to do so, and that's why so many are falling in. The carpenter goes to the community leaders and reports that 32 children have fallen into the river due to the lack of a protective barrier. The community leaders have a wall built on the cliff behind which children and adults can safely view the beautiful river. In the end, some still fall, but there are fewer victims to rescue. The problem wasn't totally eliminated, or at least not right now, but fewer children needed to be rescued downstream. This is the moving upstream analogy for prevention. Awesome. And so in talking data, mm -hmm. help us understand um, how this parable talks about data. So there, there are quite a, a few things here. Um, I, you know, imagine that over the course of three days, the carpenter rescues like 43 children from the river. So he has like a number. He has mm -hmm. like what we call um, quantitative data. So we can go to the leaders in the community and say, I've, you know, rescued 43 mm -hmm. from the river. And he may not even know how many, you know, he hasn't rescued. Mm -hmm. right. um, and then he's also, when he meets the, you know, the old woman when he heads upstream, um, he asks her a question. And obviously she had an answer. She knew what was going on. She had what we sometimes refer to as um, local um, circumstances. And the, the thing that, that happened was um, there was an you know they were clearing trees and there was access to this cliff so it's about access and availability and sometimes it's good to have the numbers for that how many mm -hmm. kids how many, and then and then knowing uh, the qualitative data that this is why um, why this was happening so the woman so having that conversation with the woman was what we sometimes consider to be a um, what we consider to be a stakeholder interview mm -hmm. um, and there are, so there are other ways to obtain qualitative data. We do it by talking with individuals, and that's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That is qualitative data. We also do, sometimes we do focus groups, where we talk right. to groups of individuals, and that's also referred to as qualitative data. So we look at numbers, and we look at, and, and we also um, talk to people about what's going on in our communities, mm -hmm. and that those are, you know, sources of data. So I know I was talking a few days ago to Steph mm -hmm. and just about a story that you have in your community, how data helped actually 
create change and mm-hmm. how having data is something supported what you're trying to do. You want to tell sure. that story? Yeah. So we were we were talking about um, a recent town meeting that happened in Stoughton. We've been working really hard in our community to address um, the marijuana issues, and um, we wanted to. We had asked our residents actually by vote, but. Um, through a ballot question whether they wanted to opt out of having retail marijuana in Stoughton. And um, the community voted strongly to opt out of marijuana shops and other retail marijuana businesses. Um, But the way the law was written is we needed to do a two-part process where we then had to go to town meeting and ask our town meeting representatives, which is how we do local government, to make the same, basically to validate that decision and to vote on a zoning bylaw that would um, prevent any of those stores or other businesses from coming into town. Mm-hmm. And so we worked together with a number of our partners in town to put together a video that that shared a lot of data about kind of what was happening in other communities across the Commonwealth and the country. We did some mapping, so we actually showed data in terms of a GIS map of other communities that had made similar decisions already in their cities and towns. Um, you know, we, we looked at some of the stories that were happening, particularly in Colorado, around how this law was playing out and, um, you know, shared some news stories and things from there. And, and then we also, um, we were prepared to talk about what's happening with our own young people. We, we do a youth survey and we collect information about our youth. Um, so we had shared all of that sort of by video format. And when it came to the Q&A, uh, an individual was asking questions about um, sort of what you know what this might mean in Stoughton, and um, somebody got up and shared their opinion, which included that most his in his opinion that most um, drug sales actually happen under the roof of Stoughton High School, and um, we have very good data that says that that doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. um, so I happen to be sitting with the superintendent, and we we sort of opened our data notebook that I have been carrying around, and because the data is still pretty new to us, and I said to her, you know, because she knew that wasn't true, but we actually had the the numbers from the survey to back that up, and we were actually able to say this is the percentage of students, the very low percentage who reported that they've even been offered um, drugs on the campus of Stone High School. Um, it doesn't even mean that they've agreed to the sale. It just means somebody's even approached them. Um, and those numbers are below 10%. And so she was able to get up and share that with the audience at town meeting. And um, I think particularly because there were so many parents in the audience, people really appreciated mm-hmm. really having that hard number. And um, so not only you know was she able to say in her experience and in speaking with the teachers and the other professionals, we, we know this to be true, we also were able to say, and the students have told us in this anonymous survey that it's it's simply not happening. It's a misperception that so many drug deals are happening at Stoughton High. What a great story. Yeah. And then what was the end all vote? And then the final vote, so the town meeting representatives um, supported doing a zoning ban for uh, marijuana shops. So we will not um, be having retail marijuana sales in Stoughton. That's fantastic. I think it shows all the hard work that you have to do beforehand Mm -hmm. in order to accomplish something. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. when people think about creating change, um, they see a problem that they think this is the problem, but when you dig around, you you need data to support your you know hypothesis is this really what's happening right and just and it's not easy um describe to me some of the process of collecting all of that data for either of you just in your job what does that look like well so i can tell you when we for that particularly piece of policy work um which is interesting we wanted to figure out what what were the kinds of data that the people in the community were interested in because it might not be the same data that we're interested in Mm -hmm. um and so some of the things that we thought were might be really important weren't the things that were 
kind of in the community conversation. And so we we basically had to do some research to figure out what were people talking about and what did they understand about this law and um, what misinformation was out there that maybe we wanted to correct. And, um, and so that was sort of how we constructed our video. And we went out and we found data to support the, the um, particular areas that people were having a lot of dialogue around and really making sure those were good sources. They were all external sources to our community, um, things about tax revenue and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really, really important to us. But regularly, um, we do a youth health survey at our school. We call it the youth health survey because it's it's not, it, it's sort of commonly known as the youth risk behavior survey. We don't like to call it that. We feel like we're not only talking about behaviors that might be risky and um, our, we're very supported by our school administration and we do this survey every other year. Um, we survey every student six through 12 and we collect all sorts of information from them around um, use patterns related to substance use, um, attitudes related to drugs and alcohol. So if they, you know, what their beliefs are around what things are dangerous, what things are safe, what things they approve of in terms of their peers, what they what they believe other students are doing. We, we um, really are interested in um, those misperceptions where mm -hmm. students tend to believe that everybody's doing something, but really they're not. So we can compare that to their actual use. And then we also, we, we look at some other things that some of our other partners are really interested in and um, we, you know, sort of a more holistic approach around health. So we look at how connected our kids to their school, um, which is an important protective factor. We look at, um, you know, physical activity and nutrition, what other healthy behaviors are kids doing? We look at screen time, we look at bullying, um, mental health, you know, all sorts of, of different pieces of information um, that are valuable to um, some of our partners. And sometimes we can put that stuff together and say, wow, there's a relationship between underage drinking in our community and some other um, variable, you know? So, you know, maybe kids who don't get enough sleep also drink, or I'm making that up right now. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but, um, but in theory, we could figure that out using our mm -hmm. data, which is pretty neat. I think one of the places where we see data used a lot in our world is when it comes to um, trying to sell you a product. Mm -hmm. I think it surprises people just how thought out um, different industries are about selling you a product, you know, from the placement of where that product mm -hmm. is. And um, just when it comes to working in the substance use prevention field, we're talking a lot about preventing kids from using alcohol mm -hmm. or marijuana or tobacco. Right. And just those industries, you know, have studied what people mm -hmm. do and so talk a little bit about that. So when you're creating policy and doing data, just you know, finding out what, what those industries might be doing and mm -hmm. how do we share that? What does all of that look like? Mm. So actually one of the things I'm thinking about right now, because we had a conversation about it this morning virtually, it was the our billboards. So there's a billboard campaign right now using, um, I'm going to say data, but I, I don't really, I, I don't think it's good data um, around um, you know what happens in states that have passed marijuana and um and i actually i still don't entirely understand what the purpose of that campaign is even after reading about it but um you know where ads get placed and how they influence um, public conversation um my my theory is that those ads um are about trying to influence people's policy making decisions locally around whether they allow for um, recreational marijuana shops to come into their communities. But um, I don't actually know that because I don't work for the industry. Um, but, you know, it, it is true that the, in the all of these retail industries, so marijuana being the newest one, but tobacco being one that's been around for a really long time, they do a ton of market research and they figure out 
how, what is the best way to get customers? And young people are their best customers mm -hmm. because youth have strong brand loyalty and they're your customers for life. So if you get a kid drinking alcohol or choosing their um, cigarette brand at age 12, you're gonna have them you know, for the rest of their lifetime. It, it's better for the industry to hook somebody when they're young and you know, unfortunately, and to build an addiction, then for them to find somebody who's fifty, you know, and doesn't have as many years left to use their product. Right. I think that's so important when you talk about prevention world because people will say that we don't mind doing education campaigns, mm -hmm. but right. we don't necessarily want to touch the whole policy thing because we basically think that parents should just parent better. Mm -hmm. And if everyone parented better, kids wouldn't do X, Y, Z. Can you talk a little bit about why data is so important when it comes to that conversation, even in regards mm -hmm. to what we just said? So we we share misperception data with our parents a lot because what happens for parents too is we all do this. So um, we tend to overestimate risky behaviors and underestimate healthy behaviors. So as a parent, you are, you know, or any adult in the community, you're just as likely to think that more kids drink, like in a high school population, than actually drink even though you probably think that your own child isn't doing that behavior. Right. So, um, you know, so I think the statistics are important for parents actually bo on both ends. One, to remind them that most of our kids are making really healthy choices. We want to reinforce that. We don't want to say to, we don't want to be saying to our kids, you know, don't go with the crowd or everybody's doing it, but you should do something else. Because truthfully, most kids are, when it comes to drinking or using drugs, most kids are doing something else. Mm -hmm. They're not doing those things. So, um, you know, it helps it to make it eat it helps it for kids to make it an easier choice. Um, I think it helps for parents to also to reinforce most most other parents also are not serving alcohol to their kids. So right. you don't need to feel pressure to do these things. There's no, it's not really happening out there. Um, so I think that's helpful. But I think also the flip side to know for parents to understand there is a percentage of the population at your local high school or even at your middle school that are doing certain behaviors and you need to be aware of what that behavior might look like and what some of the signs are because if you're, if your child is falls into that population, we want to be able to help them, and um, we want to be able to do that as soon as possible. So, um, you know, to be aware, it, I think it's it's important for building awareness of certain issues, but it also um, helps address misperceptions and and points us in the right direction that we aren't, uh, you know, sort of addressing something or making something seem really bigger than it is. And I think again, like going back to the data, it's important not just to have data from parents, but to show just the different aspects of how like everybody contributes in a community to mm -hmm. preventing underage drinking. Um, everyone contributes to making community change when it comes to like health. And if you just address parents, like that's not gonna be enough right. for your community. You yeah, also right. have to think about policies because somebody is talking to your mm -hmm. young child and you, know, you wanna make the positive voice louder and the negative voice mm -hmm. quieter, um, you know, for lack of a better way to say it. Right. Uh, describe some other stories that you might have in your community or some other thoughts. I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's thinking, oh my goodness, I have an idea of what's mm -hmm. happening. Where do I even start? This mm -hmm. has made my head spin. Where would they even start? Um, and what are some stories of kind of where you started with communities? So I think when I first started with Stoughton many years ago, and I won't say how long that really was, because um, <laughs> it was long. Um, one of the very first ways that we started to collect data is really just by talking to people. And um, so we, we started to collect some of what Lynn was talking about, that sort of qualitative data, the community stories to try to understand what was happening. And so mm -hmm. 
basically we just went out and we had coffee with people. We interviewed folks. Um, we went to meetings where that already were happening. So we, you know, we asked to be on the agenda of the PTO, of the Chamber of Commerce, of um, any other groups that kind of normally would come together and said, hey, can we come to your group and just talk and have a conversation? It doesn't need to be a formal focus group, which is another great way to collect data. And is, there's a very scientific way to do focus groups. Um, but we said, we just, we're going to do conversations. And we we worked with all of our coalition partners and we said, here are some questions. Who do you know? Like, what groups are you connected with already? Let's go out and talk to people and then let's come back and try to see if any of the same things kind of came up over and over again. Um, and actually for us, we did that before we had a really good youth survey at the high school. And um, we were really, we were able to figure out what the what sort of the underlying risky, um, the risk factors were in our community, what some of the things that uniquely, looked maybe a little bit uniquely different about Stoughton that put our kids more at risk for substance use, and then the things that we were doing locally that really protected them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we did, we were able to do a survey that actually looks at some of those things, and um, we found that we were really pretty much on the money, just even in the conversations we had with folks, because we had done enough of them that we really started to hear some of the same things over and over again. So I think. That's really an easy, it's free, you know, mm-hmm. it's an easy thing you can do to, to start generating data in your community. And sometimes when you get the quantitative data, like from the, the youth health survey, then you can do a focus group to ask a little bit more about something mm-hmm. that maybe you haven't seen before or you want to know a little bit or, or just to say, does this seem mm-hmm. um, accurate or, yeah. you know. And, and it's that's helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we just went through a strategic planning process in four communities, Stoughton, Canton, Holbrook, and um, Walpole. And so we are in the process that we, we put together a plan, but we're also in the process of still um, obtaining, everyone went through their youth health survey this year, all the students in all four communities um, partook in a, in a survey. And now we are gonna do some focus groups to even get more information, so. Right. And so I think data is really important to find out what's happening, but it's also important to find out is whatever you decided to do to fix that problem, did that even work? That's right. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. Right, so that would be the evaluation end of things. So we, um, so you can use, we use our surveys to, to do that too. So we, we are able to kind of collect like what's happening now or what hap- what was happening 10 years ago and, and now what does it look like after we did X, Y, and Z? Um, so I think that's really helpful because for us, the, the final most important thing about our work is that we're reducing alcohol and other drug use among our kids. And so the best way for us to know that is from those biannual surveys. Um, but then as we as we implement certain strategies or we try to make a policy change, we can start to look at what are some of the other markers that that's working. And some of those things might just be um, that people know about this or um, or other incremental change that we might be able to measure leading up to something. And so, you know, it might be really important for the community to understand that, um, for example, if as an adult, you're, you can't serve alcohol to minors. Um, if people don't understand that that's a law, then it, if you were to, to sort of tighten up some of your social host liabilities law, laws, people maybe wouldn't even support it. They wouldn't know what it was about. They wouldn't understand it. Um, and so when, whenever we whenever we think about like where do we start and where do we end, we design, we try to design like basically the pathway we call the logic model, but it's essentially like a little roadmap. And along the way, there are certain things you can measure. So in theory, 
you know, we should we should be able to know like if if our roadmap is correct, then as certain things change, we should know that we're kind of on our way to changing behavior ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of lots of these little changes, if they're all sort of in the, moving in the same direction, should add up to one big change, one big which is right. less drinking, less drug use among our kids. One of the questions I ask a lot is, you know, how does your coalition know that you're winning? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you know that you're accomplishing something, succeeding at something? And if you don't have data, then it's just your opinion that you're doing right. something mm-hmm. good. That's right. Um, and it might not, you know, it might not be. Um, and so, and that's true of any organization mm-hmm. at all that's trying to create anything. Like, how do the people that are working with your group, how do they know what a win is mm-hmm. unless you've collected some sort of data to show that you're moving the needle? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's right. great. Yep. Do you have any last thoughts for anybody out there who's listening? Um, just any resources or anything that you could think of that just might your story, anything at all that might uh, benefit them before we close? I just want to say for anyone who's interested in more information, there um, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, um, we call SAMHSA, um, has some great information on running focus groups mm-hmm. and running um, stakeholder interviews. So they have webinars and you can earn credit for them or whatever. They're very helpful. We're actually having... They're free. They're, they're free. Yeah. They're free. And they're actually... So to, to really collect some um, qualitative data, um, we're actually... The, the leaders in the communities that I work in are actually doing partaking in those webinars over the summer um, so they have a better understanding of how to um, collect that type of data mm-hmm. um, so that's really great and then there's also a local resource um, mass tap it's um, mass mass for Massachusetts and then tap um, T capital T capital a PP and it's the technical assistance providers for the state of Massachusetts the uh, Department of Public Health Bureau of Substance Abuse Services. They have some. Re- they have um, some guidance documents that will really help people learn more about data, how to collect it, what to do with it when you have it. Um, so I, I would say if people want to learn more, those are good sources. Oh, that's great. And we can link all of those in the mm-hmm. show notes. So if you're yeah. listening to this yes. and you're driving, you know, don't try to write that down. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Put it in the show notes for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it'll just be a click away when you go back to the notes. And I love um, CADCA as a resource as well. And so um, it's the community the Community Anti Drug Coalitions of America, um, and they have these little primers that you can print in PDF form. And there's an entire primer on assessment and data, and um, it lays out all this stuff really, really well, um, and has like worksheets. And it's really, really great for kind of a layperson who's just trying to pick this stuff up. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And just, if you don't mind, we're going to share both of your contact info too. So just if somebody has, you know, they want to find you, um, they can ask you some questions themselves. And don't reinvent the wheel. We always, we share everything we have. So we're always happy to share survey templates and, and, you know, any other evaluation templates that we've used in the past. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Amanda. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.